I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steel, is every Thursday a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Y'all are listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Yeah, yeah, yo, I'm waiting on reparations. Records, we set it straight then. Did I say we was waiting? Fuck that, we never patient. Knife has been in the fight since the days of the segregation. Roll a blunt and I light it, I blaze and I meditating. While Lingua Franca demonstrating, we just taking names. Y'all just staying lame, we just taking aim. We don't playing games, we just take the system and we shake the frame Trying to bend that shit and maybe make a change And I don't even know when it'll be fall I'm not Gavin Newsom, I don't need a total recall From right-wingers who be on the mic singing yeehaw The COVID cases going up and down like seesaws All I got is me, y'all Let me get it started, go ahead and just speak I'ma get my co-host back next week Yeah, 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 yeah Alright, okay, my name is Dope Knife, and y'all are listening to Waiting on Reparations. Hurry up. I'm so glad that this is about to be the last time that I have to do that by myself, because next week, y'all, the homegirl Lingua Franca is coming off of her much-needed and deserved maternity leave, and she's going to be rejoining me for some all-new episodes and all that jazz we got one more day of it just being the Dope Knife Show. <laughs> I do have somewhat of a little announcement to make. I have fallen in love with a new album. What would y'all think? Get your, get your mind out the gutter. No, I've I been listening to that new West Side Gun album, Hitler Wears Hermes 8. I guess that's because it's the eighth one. In all honesty, out of all the Griselda guys, West Side Gun is probably my least favorite but um i just i haven't stopped listening to this joint since i got that shit it is super dope i mean obviously you have all of the usual features from the griselda cats but the beats on this shit i mean it's nuts it's nuts i think it's fair to say west side gun is kind of an acquired taste you know what i'm saying but if you have the ear for it then 
that is gonna get a waiting on reparations dope knife stamp of approval you need to check that shit out so what do we have in the news today oh i'm an airhead so as i'm recording this the uh results are kind of coming in for that california recall election and it appears that Gavin Newsom is going to survive and he's going to serve out the rest of his two years as the governor of California. Um, yeah, I didn't even make the actual recall stage. It was, you know, everybody voted no or enough people voted no. I think uh, if it had gone through, then his main runner up was going to be Larry Elder. Now, for those of you who don't know who Larry Elder is, he is, um, how do you best describe Larry Elder? He is a, you know, one of those right-wing, black-token Republican hacks, you know what I'm saying? He's been around for, like, a decades, but, you know, he's now, he's part of that whole Trumpy shit. So, they were, they were making a play at it. Luckily, they lost, but... He's already, him and Trump are already claiming election fraud and it was rigged or whatever. They were doing that before a vote even came in, to be honest with you. A couple days before they were on Newsmax and shit and and talking that up. I think that's about to be the new normal, to be honest with you. Uh, Everybody listening right now, I think from now until the day that we all die, there's not going to be an election that Republicans lose and they don't say we were they were cheated you know what i mean i think that's just the that's just the new standard operating procedure with those cats i don't think that is going anywhere anytime soon but good for cali you know what i'm saying way way to uh delay the apocalypse oh what else is going on oh a couple days ago joe biden issued out a federal mandate on vaccines uh, for federal workers. I think all in all, at the end of the day, it's supposed to affect 100 million Americans. The anti-vaxxers and, you know, the usual goons and goblins are losing their mind about it. The same people who, what, just like six months ago were watching Donald Trump order unmarked troops to snatch people off the streets they were looking at it and they were like oh no that's dope and then to take a vaccine for a deadly disease that's killed millions of people around the world it's like nah this is the authoritarianism for a hot second on the day that biden gave that speech do not comply or don't comply some shit like that was trending on twitter and it was i checked it out it was a bunch of right wingers talking about don't comply it was elected officials saying it. It was talk radio hosts, bloggers, like they were all kind of in lockstep. Do not comply. Don't comply with the tyranny. In all honesty, it's kind of a soft mandate. I mean, if you don't want to get the vaccine, then you can still just choose to like get tested like all the time or more frequently or something like that. So it's not even like a strong arm. Hey, we're going to hold you down and jab this in your butt type of thing. But being in Georgia and as well as, you know, I'm sure people can relate who are in other southern states, you know, we've got these governors and senators and stuff who are pretty much at this point (laughs) pro-COVID, I guess is the best way to uh, describe their ideology on the topic. So they're going to be fighting against all of that tooth and nail as much as they can. So I don't, you know, I'm not smart enough to know how they're going to enforce that shit realistically but the whole thing got me thinking 
like obviously this is going to affect business and it's just gotten me wondering how are businesses going to adapt and how are they adapting like well like really what's it like to open up to start a new business at this point in the game and have to abide by the changing in covid policy you know sometimes it's ratcheted up like it was a few months ago with delta then it kind of dies down then we're not sure if it's going to come back and then people aren't getting vaccinated and then they're going to do a mandate so how is it that business owners particularly black business owners are dealing with this you know that's a question in and of itself but then if you take it down to the south where we have local governments that are you know, vehemently opposed to any sort of regulation or anything that's going to help with the whole COVID situation to begin with. How are uh, black business owners and entrepreneurs navigating this new landscape that we find in the South? So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm also going to be having a little chat with a new black business owner and creative down here in Savannah by the name of LB Elms. Me and her are going to have a conversation about that topic and I will be back after we go pay some bills. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... 
It's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So for a lot of people, the idea of owning your own business and working for yourself, it's still very much like the epitome of the American dream. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's kind of what everybody's low key working towards. I'm an independent musician. It's been my hustle since I was 18. You know, so I've always looked at that kind of with that small business mindset. But I've had tons of friends especially being in this town like savannah where there's a lot of creatives a lot of artists a lot of people who are trying to get something started i've seen how difficult it can be to you know to make that decision and take that leap and you know for forgo those safety nets and conveniences to be like hey i'm going to start my own business to go out and say that I'm going to build something from the ground up with all of the hurdles and obstacles that are going to be in the way. It, it can be a lot, you know, and it definitely doesn't have a guarantee of any kind whatsoever. There's over 30 million small businesses in this country, and the number of those that survive is just a fraction. So like 20% of small businesses fail after the first year. 30% of small businesses fail after the second year. Then you get 50% of them fail after five years. And by the time you get to year 10, 70% of them are called to quits. All that shit is just generally, though. And, you know, anything that affects the country is going to affect black people double fold. So for minorities, it's even more of a daunting task to start a small business. 80% of black owned businesses fail within the first two years. 80%. And COVID's only exacerbated all that. Now, according to CNBC, African-American entrepreneurs have had to close their doors at more than twice the rate of their white counterparts. Black-owned businesses declined by 41% between February and April of 2020, and that's compared to a 17% decline amongst white-owned businesses. There was a little boom in terms of the revenue earned by black-owned businesses uh, after the George Floyd protest just in the midst of all of the black lives matter stuff you know a lot of people were donating a lot of people were reaching out and i guess there was a little boom but that did not last for long at all now there's a number of factors as to why this happens and you know there's people way smarter than me that i'm sure have already broken it down but pretty much the key a key amongst all of the different reasons for why uh african-american businesses struggle is the access to finances. Many startups rely on support financially from friends and family. So it's just like a matter of simple math. If your social network doesn't have that much money, then that'll translate into how they're able to help you. If they're able to help you. And with that, all of the basic trial and error that usually goes in with starting a small business, especially in the early days, it ends up being something that's fatally costly and you when you don't have access to the capital like that. In real talk, if we live in a country where a, a black-sounding name on a job application is going to stop a motherfucker from hiring you, then I'm pretty sure the same thing goes along with whether they'll shop with you or not. Uh, just to drive that home, before COVID, black-owned businesses nationally average $58,000 annually. 
And uh, that's compared to over half a million dollars for white-owned businesses. In a report conducted in three southern states by Prosperity Now, that was uh, Mississippi, Georgia, and I believe North Carolina. Um, The report was titled, Stuck from the Start, The Financial Challenges of Low and Moderate Income African American Entrepreneurs in the South. So for this, they interviewed 30 African American business owners uh, in eastern North Carolina, southeastern Georgia, and Jackson and Delta regions of Mississippi. Many stated, limited managerial and industry experience and launching businesses in lower revenue service industries in black communities. Also noted was the lack of a robust network of supportive institutions, including ones that could provide managerial training, technical assistance, and strategic advice, and an inability to establish lines of credit that could support expansion plans or covering operating expenses. Many of the major obstacles facing African-American entrepreneurs flows from the challenge of starting a business with little to no savings or family wealth. The researchers found that black entrepreneurs simply don't have the savings or the wealth that white families do to leverage either on their own or through their family networks. As one North Carolina entrepreneur stated, we didn't inherit nothing, nothing was passed down, our parents do all they can for us, but it was all on us from the beginning. However, even with all the hardships, there has been a bit of a a kind of a migration over the last decade or so of black entrepreneurs coming down south and bringing their ideas down here. A 2017 report by Black Tech Week stated that the top three cities where black-owned businesses found success were Memphis, Montgomery, and Atlanta, all in the south. Now, the factors contributing to this were low cost of living compared to places like New York and San Francisco. I can attest to that. It's one of the reasons that the brothers down here. There's also been an increase in business incubators in southern metro cities. So destinations like Atlanta have had a surge of tech incubators to foster rising black-owned businesses that are all in the same field. In the South still has one of the largest pockets of African-American population in the country. So and they, they also have a long history of supporting black-owned businesses. So it's just more of an inviting situation, I guess. And with that, I'm going to be bringing on our guest for the day, who herself is a black small business owner who has migrated to the South to get her business popping. You know, before we even started rolling, she she said she's going to handle the introduction duties because it's quite a mouthful to, to say the whole title. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, again, I'm LB Elm, and I'm the owner and founder of the Culturist Union, which is the first of its kind and only Black-owned coffee house and artisan marketplace in Savannah, Georgia. That's what's up. So how, yeah. uh, when did you go about you know moving to Savannah to open it? So this is my second time around in Savannah. The first time I was a SCAD student mm-hmm. um, was your major? and I was in performing arts. Okay. And then I transferred to Howard, H-U, you know. Hey, I used um, to go to Howard, too. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I used to go to okay. Howard and Scan. <laughs> Me, too. See? So I was up in Ira Aldridge, you know, hanging out yeah. on the theater, doing a thing. I was in theater management, and then I did some DEI work and traveled around, and then I got this idea to create a gathering space. Um, but I didn't want it to be kind of like a co-working space. I wanted it to be a place that was a little bit more relaxed. Um, I remember being a student at SCAD and feeling like there was nowhere to go 
Um, as a black artist, as a black creative, there wasn't a space for me to go on a Tuesday and just really be centered and feel, you know, like I have full autonomy over myself and all of these things. And so I decided that I was going to come here and create that space. And so about two and a half years ago, I quit a, a job that was very lucrative and, and um, in Minnesota and, and um, started on this journey. And here we are today. So where are you from originally? I know you said that you were an army brat, but do you have like kind of a centralized place that you identify yeah, yeah, as? Yeah, well? so I'm from Pontiac, Michigan. Okay. Um, right, my granny's house is right behind the Silverdome, so I'm right there. And then um, when I was six years old, my mother married um, a, a army man, and he adopted me, and so that's my stepdad. And we traveled all around. And when I was 17, I joined the Air Force and did that for almost 10 years. So then, what made you pick Savannah to? to open up your business on? Like, is it just the connection from going to SCAD and you being in town? No, no, no. So I didn't even know SCAD existed. Oh. My parents um, retired in Richmond Hill, which is a little town right outside of Savannah. And when I was um, getting out of the Air Force, I wanted to be closer to family. So I moved to Savannah and I didn't have a plan. I was just out here just trying to figure it out. And um going to coffee shops. I love coffee shops. So I'm going to coffee shops, just kind of doodling, drawing, just wasting my day away, trying to figure out what's next in my life. And um, there was a SCAD tour. And one of the, you know, tour guides was like, you can just hop on. It's easy. You know, this is pre-COVID, yeah. you know, when you just did shit. So hopped on the tour, go to the performing arts, go to Kreitz Hall, which is where the performing arts department is. And I didn't even know they had a performing arts department go to Pride's Hall, audition on the spot, and then I got in. And so I went to SCAD because I got in. And then <laughs> was it kind of like falling in love with Savannah at that point or? Yeah, it was. And it was, it was this, it was this thing because SCAD opened me up to all of these possibilities, all of these things that I, I had no idea even existed or, or was even possible in my life. And I'm meeting all these people, but I still didn't feel like there was a, a space for me. I still didn't feel like I was connected. And when I went to Howard, I felt like I was at home. I felt like I was, like I felt like I got both of those things. So Sky was the catalyst, but Howard Howard pulled it all in and it, and it made it possible and it made me think and it gave me an example of other black people, black women, particularly who is doing the thing. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, if these people can do the thing, then I can do the thing too. So then just to get to the bottom of it, so then what made Savannah that spot on the map that you wanted to try start this adventure in? Well, so I read this book called The Purple Cow um, years ago, like be when I was still in the military. So this had to be six, seven, eight years ago. And in that book, it says that you always need to be first or... Um, the only. And I recognize that in D.C., you know, there's multiple black owned establishments, gathering places, coffee houses where you could go. You know, it's called Chocolate City. I mean, it's gentrified now, but it's <laughs> called Chocolate City. In Minneapolis, where I was at, where I was working, excuse me, it was the same thing. And so Savannah just felt like a space for me to start. And I knew that it was going to take a while to start. And I knew that I had to cultivate change in the South. But I also knew that if I was able to pull it off here, where there 
where there is no example, then the sky is the limit. Yeah. So it was a, kind of like a personal challenge for me. Well, I mean, since you've taken up that challenge, what has it been like so far? Because you know, I've had several. I've had several friends who've tried to open up businesses in this town who were white and had difficulty doing it. You know what I mean? Then I've had friends who've been black who've had difficulty doing it. So what is it like in a post-COVID world trying to do that? So so before COVID, when I was first starting, it was it was a it was a tough it was a tough heel, right? It was a tough heel because not only am I saying that I'm opening up a, a creative space for creatives. People get that. People didn't understand co-working spaces at the time. People didn't understand um, social enterprises at the time down here because these weren't conversations that we were having in the South. No one's talking about taking up space and diversity and equity in the South yet, right? So I'm, you know, are you a separatist? Are you, why are you, why are you doing reverse racism things? What, what is a co-working space? What are you doing? I don't understand the concept. But then, um, there was a shift when George Floyd, when when we went to COVID, George Floyd happened. All of these things kind of created this opportunity for conversation. And so I started having information sessions where I started giving diversity and equity um, a platform. And I started creating these things called roundtable discussions. And I started gathering people. And, they, and it was funny because... I wasn't doing anything different than what I was doing the year before. But for some reason, people were listening. Right. And then um, I just kept doing, I just kept doing this. You know, I, I knew that I didn't have a lot of capital. I knew that I didn't have, um, you know, a lot of financial backing or clout or, you know, the network connections. But I also knew that I just needed to make sure that everybody knew of my idea and that it was mine. And that eventually something, I was gonna network my way into my net worth. Something was gonna click. So I was crowdfunding, I'm hosting these pop-ups, I'm hosting these events, I'm giving these information sessions, I'm connecting to people, and I'm just honing in on my message, honing in on my message, you know, a, a space for black creatives, space for black creatives. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own. And then I got a phone call from um, the American Express reps to um, to back you know my idea. Then I got a phone call from T-Mobile to back my idea. Then I got a phone call from Essence to do a spread on this concept. Then America, you know, then Savannah Morning News. So all of these things just started to happen, and I think it's just because I was just kind of putting in the work and just putting one foot in front of another. And so. Um, we were able to get the funding. We were able to work with Carver State Bank, which is a Black-owned bank, to help with um, with the small business loan and funding. And and now we're in construction. So just for our so. listeners, can you uh, kind of go into detail explaining what is a co-worker space? So a co-working space um, is a space where you um, can work from home. So think of it as... Um, a, a you know a private space kind of similar to a coffee house or kind of similar to you know your regular office space where other um, people who may work from home or who may have small businesses can kind of gather and and work and create um, and so what we're doing is we're taking the co-working space concept and we're taking the coffee house concept 
and the marketplace concept and fusing them together. So TCU is more than a coffee house. We serve coffee and we have that aspect, but then we have forums and discussions and um, creative services and, you know, space for artists. And then we, um, and then we also sell artists products. So black artisans, local products you can buy in our store. So is, um, is, is it open yet is it, or is it not open yet? We're in the middle of construction, okay. so we're not open yet. So then what are uh, some of the, like, how is COVID popping up again affecting any decisions that you're making? So <laughs> I'm glad you asked that question because COVID has, it, it slowed down our trajectory. We were supposed to open Juneteenth um, because cool. of COVID. It would have yeah, been cool. Sorry. <laughs> You know, but we were supposed to open Juneteenth because of COVID marketing or um, material prices have skyrocketed. What is three times the amount of um, that it used to be? Um, um, the materials cost is more. Um, workers are, you know, we're, we're feeling a worker um, shortage in all industries, even in construction, even in the trades. And so people who would have readily been available to work are no longer here to work. Um, you know, coffee sleeves kind of did a toilet paper thing. And they just disappeared. Nobody could find coffee sleeves. Damn. And so if you walk into your coffee shop and you don't and they don't put a sleeve on, it's because they ain't got yeah. one. Like, <laughs> you know, and so because of all of that, we've, you know, COVID, you know, there was a shutdown, then there was a scare with Delta mm-hmm. and all of these things. So we're we're, you know, we're navigating, do we make our workers get vaccinated? Do we do we only hire people who are vaccinated? You know, what is those things? You know, we're having these conversations, but Honestly, COVID is just is slowing things down. It's raising the prices on everything. And if you already know, you know, I don't have the same um, financial backing or the same, you know, social economic status as my white counterparts. So it's hitting me harder, you know, when when I have to go and crowdfund, you know, I could have a, a friend and I'm just going to use this colloquialism, but Sarah could crowdfund and probably raise, you know, one hundred thousand dollars in 90 days I'll be hard pressed to get 10 in those same 90 days and it's just because our our social um so social circle of influence doesn't have that same amount to give no one has a thousand five thousand dollars to give to invest in someone's dream when we're all trying to make sure that we're paying our bills and making sure you know our life is good for ourselves so it's it's difficult but it's you know we're still on the journey we're still figuring it out. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys are going to figure it out. I mean, it looks like you guys are on the right path with everything. Yeah. So, I mean, um, does it ever, like, does it frustrate you kind of that it's like you're here and you guys are starting to have all of these serious conversations about how you guys are going to navigate through COVID and to keep not only your employees safe, but, you know what I'm saying, potential people mm-hmm. who, who come to you safe as well. Does it, like, frustrate you? to live in a state where it seems like from a government level, you know, that it's, that's not really a concern or it's, it's at least they're fighting against federal moves that are being made to, to stop the spread of COVID or, or just to get things back to normal, you know, whatever normal is. Yes and no. So yes, because it's counterintuitive. 
um, you know, you say you want to stop the, you want to stop the virus. You want to get workers back to work. You want to, you know, you want to support small businesses. Small businesses are the backbone. We want to, we want to support these things, but then you're not creating an atmosphere where people can move forward. You know, you have us kind of in stagnation. Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Are we allowed to do this? Are we not allowed to do this? And it's like, whose rights are you protecting? Who are who are you disenfranchising at this point? So it's confusing and it's frustrating. On the other hand, um, I do believe that um, I do believe that certain people have created this fear propaganda because it didn't suit them and now everybody's trying to backtrack right so you you created this hysteria oh the vax are covid isn't real covid isn't real these this vaccine took too you know it was it, it happened too soon i need to do my research and they're they're trying to you know take our soul away they're <laughs> microchips you know, all these, yeah right all of these things um and now you're like oh well you should get the vaccine but not so it's 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 counterintuitive and it's it's frustrating yeah i guess you know it's i don't know <laughs> I, it's it's the worst yeah. it really is and you know it's and it's like as a business owner do i make the decision to make people get vaccinated well what happens if they can't get vaccinated or what happens if they morally don't want to get vaccinated like what do I do as a as an owner? How do I how do I navigate that? Do I let people who are not vaccinated into the space? Do I, you know, do I make them wear masks? If, if you know, I had a friend of mine who owns a business, and she has this mask rule where you have to wear a mask, and a guy walks into her business and takes a bottle of pop from the north, so we call it bottle pop, <laughs> shakes it up, and sprays her entire space because he's upset about the ma- that he had girl. to wear a mask in her space and it's like is this what life is going to look like for me when we open you know yeah. like how do we navigate that? so i mean so, like that is that, those are the sort of things that you're considering when you know trying to make those decisions absolutely and you know and and so uh for right now obviously we're telling people you're gonna have to wear a mask unless you're seated in your space and um and you know we're hot we're highly encouraging people to be vaccinated and we're we're taking that into consideration when we're doing our hiring but um it's 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 a tough place to be in yeah lb why don't you tell everybody where they can find you Absolutely. So you can check us out at the Culturist Union. So um, it's C-U-L-T-U-R-I-S-T, theculturistunion.com, on social media, the Culturist Union, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and um, hit me and my team up. We're, we're here and we're ready. We're going to be located on MLK Street. So if you ride down MLK, you'll see our big logo and it says future home of the Culturist Union. So when's that coming when again? We open. It's, it's coming okay. soon. <laughs> we got to figure this construction okay. out. But it will be here before the end of the year. I can promise you that. Word, that's what's up. Um, and so when we come, we just hope you, you know, take up some space with us. Oh, hell yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, LB, thank you for dropping on the show. And thank I will you. be right back after we take a little break. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. 
But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like a recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women, like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends, we're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Yeah, I mean, you said, you know, we, we can talk about... Um we can talk about hip hop and politics. Or oh, so you like want to? Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, you want to talk about some? All right, all right. Well, then, <laughs> this is going to be the second week in a row where you the guest try. has wanted to <laughs> chime in on the hip hop discussion of the day. I really wanted to tell you a story and kind of, kind of hear your perspective of this, okay, go ahead. if you don't mind. Shoot. Okay, so. I had a woman, and I, I do a lot of diversity, equity work, obviously. Um, my space is all about you know inclusion and equity and things like that. And so there was a Facebook post that a woman made. And on the Facebook post, she quoted, um, or she paraphrased Eartha Kitt. And she says, you know, um, um, I don't see black, I don't see white, I don't see pink, I don't see green. All I see is a woman. And um, there was this huge debate on whether or not she should have said that. And I said, um, I said, well, it's really funny that she chose Eartha Kitt to 
quote because Eartha Pitt was the Kanye of her time. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I wanted to know, what do you think about these um, people who quote actors and musicians as keystones or cornerstones of black culture to justify their point? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's I think it might be rooted in like having some sort of like personal cover especially nowadays because i i find that the discourse that i find that discourse is like a regular thing with hip-hop now mm -hmm. between you know the different races of fans where you know just keeping it real like if a white person says something about like a particular rapper or artist that's like unfavorable then it almost seems like as a reflex then the discussion turns into well what do you call how are you qualified to to judge black music you know what i mean right but when they're packing the stadiums and everybody's singing the n-word <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like in unison right. like nobody's thinking about anybody's qualifications to like listen to the music and stuff like that i think if you're gonna have that energy that you should be consistent with it but i don't think somebody saying that they didn't like track 12 of your album yeah. is like when you start bringing up you know like right. <laughs> that, that's just me that's that's just my, right. my opinion on it um as far as why people do it i think it's precisely for that you know it's, it's like the it's it's the same same thought process that's being used with like oh but my friend's black you know what i'm saying oh, it's like it? i'm making this it's point like let me quote this black person who said this thing and and i'm justified exactly. like, like, like for example she knew or whoever posted it knew that there was going to be a, a vocal group of people that had an issue with it but the right. cover is yo i'm not like quoting sally field or something like that it's another black person now they're assuming right. that people are going in not knowing who eartha kit was <laughs> you know like, they're assuming you're just gonna see that it's a black person and it's like oh okay i guess i guess you're right, right. Then. <laughs> and it's it's funny to me it's it's funny to me how you know and so in that regards do you judge do you judge an artist and their work by by their personal morals or do you with yeah i mean <sighs> With hip hop, it's it's it might be kind of different because I'm just such a fan of like the craft itself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like as as like a practice, an activity, rhyming rhythmically over beats. I'm just like fascinated with that craft. That to a certain extent, yeah, it's like I can I can disconnect. Like I can even listen to rappers that I don't even particularly like just to hear people rap because I like hearing rapping. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But. When it comes to who I'm a fan of and stuff like that, that's much more of a personal thing. And that's where like yeah. the my like admiration of technicality and stuff like that kind of goes by the wayside. That if I think you're whack as a person, you know what I mean? Then it, it yeah. makes it a lot harder for me to enjoy your music or to say that I'm a fan. It's funny that you brought up Kanye because he's he's a recurring a recurring theme on this particular show i i was never particularly a big fan but uh my co-host was a fan and she right. she you know has lost a lot of her fandom with his flirtation with Absolutely. fascism that happened you know just like a few months ago that everyone seems to have forgotten about you know <laughs> It, it, don't we don't we just forget like we just i mean we have we have am like celebrity amnesia it's like oh 
that, it doesn't matter anymore. It's fine. So. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I don't know. I like I like artists that make me do work. Like they make me think and I have to go and research what they're saying. Yeah. You know? Like like Kendrick Lamar's latest single, I'm over here like, what is what is seven? <laughs> what is Megatron? What is this? You know, I'm I'm just like I'm googling yeah. it. It I like that. I'm like, ooh, what is this? And I feel you know important and smart when I figure well, those, out those what they, are, they're I mean, talking that, about. That's like that's like the the shit that like got me into hip hop in the first place. It was like trading cards. You know what I mean? It's like oh this yeah. this rapper. You know, he, he uses metaphors like this. Oh, man, Wu-Tang, you can't even understand what they're saying unless you got, like, an encyclopedia next to you. Right. So I think that element definitely is missing from things, like, these days. I mean, I guess I got to take that back a little. There's, there's a lot of people that are doing real dope stuff. But it just... I, I, I never downplay how important it is to have mainstream exposure when it comes to stuff like that you know it's like it's gonna be hard for a kid to see somebody who's rapping the way that you're describing and then aspire to do that if the shit is never like in front of them but that definitely could just be some old guy talk for <laughs> no i mean i'm i'm you know i'm 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 I'm, I guess I'm, you know, I'm the middle-aged millennial, yeah. I think. I'm I'm not geriatric, but I'm I'm getting up there. I'm in my mid-30s, and my son, he's 11, and he's, like, listening to something. I'm like, that is, what the hell is this? This is not smart. No, and that's, what is this? that is the thing, you know, I mean, oh, man, this is, this, this. But, I mean, that's the thing is, like, it doesn't, Maybe I'm just remembering stuff the wrong way. And I'm totally open to, like, everyone having their blinders and their filters right. and their biases and stuff. But it's just, like, hip-hop, even in its most hedonistic form when I was a kid, wasn't about being dumb. You know? Like, that wasn't, right. like, a, that wasn't a thing. You know what I'm saying? Even, like, the most gangsta gangsta, I'm a killer gangster wasn't right. like, yo, I'm an idiot. Or I don't... I'm an... Right. And I'm like, and I think about my dad, like my dad, he's, he's a younger dad. He's in his fifties now. So, you know, he had me pretty young, but like listening to Rock Kim, listening to Jay-Z, listening to Nas, you know, all I need is one mic. Like I remember those songs in the car and I'm listening to them now and my son's like, oh, can you please do his song? He's so bored. You're, talk you're talking about like old school cats. You could go back. Look, if Nelly was the worst thing that we had to listen right. to, how much better would hip hop be? <laughs> if 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 right. the worst if the worst rapper that you heard when you listened to the radio right now was Nelly or like oh, Bubba or Bubba Sparks. Sparks, like we would be good. We would be good. And it's funny because I remember being in high school and like clowning. Um, who was it? Uh, who who did? I keep the computers cute. Oh, um, Cameron. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> and I remember being like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> computers cute. And, that, and now, now you I'm like compare computers compu compare computers man, to Takashi. He was spitting bars. Yeah. He was spitting hot he fire. Really was. Like, <laughs> he was out real, here. Like, he was out here had your mental girl. Like Nelly, now, like Nelly is Rakim compared to these new dudes. Yo, know, like straight up. And that is that is so not an exaggeration. Do you remember when, like the like, if you were to say what is an example of a whack rapper? Like Vanilla Ice and like MC Hammer right. was like the default. If you that is the example of what a whack rapper. Right. Is. Well, I'm a. I've been rapping for 18 years. 
Vanilla Ice raps better than a lot of, a lot of these yes. new dudes. So what is yes. a bad rapper then? You know? I, 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 I listened to it and I said, I said, how do you how do you listen to this every day, all day? And he's like, well, I mean, you know, it's cool. You listen to the beat. You don't listen to the words. Then what? What's then the point? The yeah, got the instrumental even? track. And you said your son's 11? He's 11. I mean, you know, and. And that's, you know, and that's, and I have, you know, cousins and, and nephews that are, you know, 13, 14, 15, and they're listening to this. And I can't even understand them at this point. There's no dictation. <laughs> there's no enunciation. It's just mush. Well, it's like, here, here, and I'm like. No, I mean, it, you know, it's like, I guess so that we don't go, so this doesn't turn into right, a geriatric right. <laughs> millennial rant. I'm going to say that it's like, I would never argue with an 11 year old or like a 13 year old right. on why they like the stupid things that they like. Cause they're 13. They're supposed to like stupid stuff and be stupid. Right. The thing that gets to me is when I see grown men and women, <laughs> definitely we're going to have to have you back and continue this hip hop discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad I was able to keep up a little bit, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I'm more of a Nita Baker fan. I can get than, I can know. get real nerdy with my hip hop shit sometimes. <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs> no, this is great. Well, thank you for coming. Let's close it off the way that we always do. Yo, my homie Joel, give a brother a beat. Oh, love this one. Hot. <laughs> yeah. Yo, straight in the seaport, crazy little rapper named Mac Knife. Dropped out of college cause my money didn't act right. I'm down to do this freestyle shit every damn night. You flow in a pose, you must be smoking a crack pipe. Heartless, rappers ain't as built as I. Wanna hang but they can't match, build design, kill with rhymes. I'm sorta like a lethal weapon when I jump into a cypher. I don't even need protection. Who you liking? Who you checking? This shit is kinda pressing. But tune in next week and I give you all a lesson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we waiting, we waiting on reparations. I'm Dope Knife, and you are listening to Waiting on Reparations. See you next week. Waiting on Reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steel, is every Thursday a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. 
And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.